be looking tonight in the book of Hosea chapter 7 at a message I call a picture is worth and of course you know the rest of that um, God uh, in Hosea chapter 7 has given us some marvelous pictures and uh, we'll see those play out tonight uh, just because I say a picture is worth though doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about it a lot but it just uh, uh, they're, they're just very valuable to us, though, to be able to look at these pictures that God has given to them of the hearts of people. Hosea chapter 7 and verse 6, they prepare their heart like an oven. While they lie in wait, their baker sleeps all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen, none among them calls upon me. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens had devoured his strength. That's foreigners, by the way. But he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. Pictures. Uh, I've heard it said many times that we're our own worst critic, and we do have a tendency to be hard on ourselves, sometimes unjustly so. Sometimes we are harder on ourselves than anybody else. Whatever our faults are, we tend to magnify them and uh, think about them uh, as being many times worse than they are. And at the same time, while that is true, as we saw this morning, it's possible for us to ignore the fact that we have some very, very deeply seated problems and maybe salve our consciences with the good things that we're accomplishing and make ourselves feel better and overlook then those difficult things. Uh, these uh, truths, both sides of that, point out to us why it is so important for us to submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because through the Holy Spirit, then, the Word of God is able to show us an accurate picture of what's really going on. The Holy Spirit has such a remarkable way of getting right to what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. When the Holy Spirit shows us a picture, you do, of course, know that it is a very accurate picture. Some years ago, it's been a long time, I guess maybe they still do it, but some years ago, it was very popular for people to go and get what they used to call glamour pics. And uh, glamour, glamour photography, I, I don't know if they still do that or not, but back when it was real popular to do that, man, they'd, you'd go to a photographer, have a sitting, and they'd put you in all those fancy clothes. And this was ladies that did this. I never saw a guy get a glamour shot. You couldn't run me down and make me get one of those things, I'll tell you but. Oh, they'd get all their hair just right and everything. And, and then, but they were just getting started. You know how it goes because then the photographer would go to work, you know. I don't know how they did it. It was magic back then. Of course, now anybody with good computer software can do it. But um, uh, you know how a photograph can be touched up to make us look entirely different. You look at some of those glamour shots, I'd see it over and over again and say, you know what? <laughs> I would have never recognized that that was you. I mean, they just don't look like themselves anymore. It might be a pretty picture of somebody. But uh, the Holy Spirit's not into glamour photography. When he, when he makes a picture of us, it is very accurate. 
We can trust it. And so these beautiful word pictures that God used through Hosea the prophet so long ago to talk about his people and show them pictures of themselves, they were very, very accurate, and we'll see them tonight. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, we have this statement, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You see, when God paints us a picture of ourselves through the word, it's not just to rub it into us. Uh, God is, is going to sanctify us and cleanse us. Uh, but we, we won't ever know to wash our nose unless we know our nose is dirty. You know, we, we just can't, we, you know, thank God you got a friend out there when you're eating lunch and they're saying, you know, you know what that means. I, I got something on my face. You need to wipe your face. I, I wouldn't know it. I can't see it. Well, the Holy Spirit's not just making fun of us when he gets us a picture, folks. He's not trying to rub this in to us. It's that he wants to sanctify us and cleanse us. By the washing of the water through the word. Uh, this is why God works in our life in the way that he does. And why he uses the teaching of his word and the preaching of his word. Let's not forget that this was an old uh, preacher named Hosea. Who was standing up before God's people and delivering this message. And I'm just preaching his message again here tonight. You can do this at home. And when you... Do that at home, it's the same thing. When you do it here, it's the same thing. When you listen to the word as it's preached and taught, then God, the Holy Spirit, is using that to wash us and cleanse us. I want to remind you folks tonight that we live in a sin-filthy world. We do. And in spite of our best efforts, I tell you, you go to walking through a sin-filthy world, some of it's going to get on us. That's why we need to be cleansed by the word of God continually have the Lord the Lord work through his word to show us our problems but he also then confirms for us our accomplishments the word of God you see sets a standard in every area of life we don't just ask ourselves do I enjoy it did I have a good time did it work did it make me happy but ultimately we ask ourselves does this conform to the truth of God's word there's some things that God's word are going to call out of bounds to us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to work through his word to show us this is something that we need to avoid. And so we need to ask ourselves in every area of life, is my life conforming to the word of God? Now, it may seem a little complicated to us. You know, uh, uh, football season's upon us, and some of you might be practicing football. And you ask yourself then, did I, well, did I play football? And uh, did I do that uh, in a way that pleases God? How, how would I know? I, do, I, do, I, do I go to work every day? I mean, I don't see anything in the Bible about my particular vocation, about my work. How can I tell, am I, am I working right? Am I doing my business right? Am I, am I going to school right? Am I treating my friends right? How do we know if the Word of God sets the standard, does God tell us every little minute detail about everything? No, He doesn't. He gave us some broad principles. I'm going to give you just one tonight. Whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever, therefore you do, do all unto what? The glory of God. Doesn't that cover a lot of ground for us tonight? <laughs> and so sometimes asking ourselves, well, is this conforming to the truth of Scripture? Am I living my life according to the Word of God? It may be just something as simple as asking ourselves, can I do this? And then give God, God the glory for it when I'm done. Can I do it for the glory of God? If we can't, 
That tells us something. It covers a lot of ground. So the way that God works through his word to sanctify and cleanse us is something that we see in preaching and teaching in our personal Bible study as the Holy Spirit works through it. He is sanctifying and cleansing us through the word. Sometimes, yeah, God draws us a picture. The first picture that we see in our text tonight is a picture of a smoldering oven. Uh, he says it's like you're like an oven heated by a baker. Uh, he's making dough. That, that's what he's making bread. That's what he does. So he, he makes up his bread. He needs it. He sets the bread out. Uh, the oven is, is smoldering down. He's not worried about that. He's not stoking the fire because it's going to be a while before he needs it. You remember, of course, this was a wood-fired oven, uh, not one of these <laughs> wood-fired ovens. And uh, so they prepared then. He says that my people are like this. Uh, he said, in the day of our king, princes have made him sick, inflamed with wine, and stretched out his hand with scoffer. They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. We'll talk about that later tonight. Their baker sleeps all night in the morning. It burns like a flaming fire. He talks about how then that the oven is left smoldering, maybe shut down. But then come morning, they go and open it up and just whoosh. There's a big fire. This is used to describe then a picture of a deeply rooted problem of sin. And that can be a lot of different things in a lot of different people's lives. It can be all kinds of things. Sometimes it can be an obvious thing, a, a, a temper problem, a, an attitude problem, a self-pity problem. It can be a, a sinful thing like drug or alcohol addiction that somebody thinks that they've gotten through with, and yet it, they've left it smoldering inside so that it flares up again. It can be some kind of, of sexual immorality or bad practice. It, we think we're done with it. I'm through. Never going there again. And, but we left it smoldering. And then when it opens up, uh, there it is, burning again. It can be a heart problem, a problem of unforgiveness where our relationships are struggling and isn't it odd how that in our relationships, especially in our marital relationship, we tend to struggle with the same things over and over and over again. We tend to argue over the same things over and over again. Um, I've told you before, Nancy and I, some years ago, we just started numbering our arguments because uh, we always argued about the same things, one, two, three, and four. So we'd just call out the number and go ahead and get mad and then get over it, you know. It just, ain't no sense in wasting all that time and energy going through that. She's going to say, I know what she's going to say. She knows what I'm going to say. No, we don't literally call out a number. But we have figured out after being married for all these many years that you tend to revisit the same things again and again and again. And you think you get past them. But then the right kind of thing pops up and there they come again. It's like that smoldering oven. Now, a fire of, of sin, whatever kind it is, whether it is emotional, whether it is in our hearts, or something on the inside, some kind of sinful practice, whatever it is, the problem is that we leave these things smoldering and we leave them smoldering because we really don't want to put them out. 
deep down inside, though we may repent, though we may say we're sorry, deep down, we've left them burning. Part of us knows that. But part of us is able to convince ourselves <laughs> that we're, we're really done this time. I really mean it this time. It's going to be different. Yeah, if we, if we, we've told ourselves. Let me tell you something. If we leave a fire burning in our heart, rest assured, sooner or later, something's going to open the door. Something is going to fan the flame, and it will surface again in our life. God looks at that then, and he looks to the hearts of his people. And he says, you're like a smoldering oven. You think the fire is out, but it's not. It's going to open up and burn out again. Second picture is a picture of a half-baked cake. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. I don't know if, if you folks like pancakes or not, but I, but I like pancakes. My mother taught me a simple system for knowing how a pancake is ready to turn. Without having to pick, down, pick it up and look at it, you know, just a simple system. When it starts bubbling up in the top, then you see those bubbles, then it's time to turn your pancake. Simple system. What if you forget and you don't turn the pancake? Well, it gets black on one side and it's still pretty doughy and unappetizing on the other burned on one side and raw on the other it's a picture then that God was making of his people long ago and it's still a picture that is applicable to you and me tonight any one of us can have the same problem there you see there are things that come easy to us and some things we have to work on and it's easy for us then to content ourselves with thriving in one area but there's another area that we're just we're half done. One side then suffers from painful neglect while we thrive in another. We may feel that we're really walking with the Lord and doing well. But then God looks at us and he sees areas in our life maybe that are suffering. See, we can't satisfy ourselves. And Man, I'm in the word. I'm doing good. I love studying. I love reading. Look at how... Good I am, yeah, but maybe God sees our prayer life is non-existent. And we, we can't really say, well, but I'm doing such a good job with my Bible study. Uh, we may boast of our knowledge, but maybe we're not putting it in practice very well. Two things happen, and that can play out in any number of ways. I'm not going to go through all the possible scenarios for you tonight. I just hope you can see it. There are times maybe where we're looking at something that we're doing very well in our spiritual life, but other times, uh, other parts of our life, maybe it's not really going all that good. But we content ourselves. Well, I'm doing great over here, so isn't that okay? No, it's not. Because let me tell you what happens. There are two things that happen. First, the areas of our lives that are raw and undone constantly rob us of the enjoyment of our walk with the Lord we cannot really enjoy the things that we're doing because we see those things that are left undone and we know it 
And then at the same time, we allow ourselves to get overdone, doing the things that we like and doing the things that we enjoy. And so well, there we are. We even call it, we're burnt out. We get burnt out doing what we like while we're ignoring the things that we lack. The long-term effects of this kind of Christian life is obvious. We don't enjoy what we are doing. And so we, at some point in time, and I've seen this over and over again. I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen preachers do it. It could happen to me. It could happen to any of us. Where we get so busy doing these things that we love to do while we're ignoring the things that maybe don't come as easy to us. And after a while, we're like that unturned cake. We get burned out. On the things that we're doing. And this is, this is where it takes us to. Man I'm, I'm just going to quit. I, I just, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm, I'm just used up. Because I'll tell you. The things that we neglect the most. Are not the times when we're studying for a lesson. Or not the times that I'm studying for a message. The things that we neglect the word the most are the times where we just open the word of God and read it and let God speak to us through it. The times then where we put our head down in prayer to God and call out to him and spend that time in prayer. They're the easiest things to lay down and the hardest things for us to pick back up. And if we're trying to serve God. Though we are doing things we love and doing things that we enjoy and doing things that we're excited about, but leaving those things out that are so critical for our own spiritual development, God's going to look at us and say, you know what? You're a half-baked cake. You're burned on one side. You're raw on the other. Then there's another picture, verse 9, the picture of an aging person. No offense. I'm old enough to be able to preach this, I think. Verse 9, aliens had devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. Uh, now, there's nothing abnormal in that passage about gray hair. If you have gray hair, that's not an abnormal thing. But I'll tell you, it is abnormal to have gray hair and not know it. Uh, I'm... I'm there's going to be a faithful friend or probably your spouse that's going to take that look for you. Yeah, yeah. I see a little gray up there. <laughs> Some of you will laugh. I said, no, you don't. I just got back from the hairdresser. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any gray hair. I remember when I used to have gray hair. Mine's just pretty well white now. It's okay. What God is describing is a situation where people are getting older. They're feeling the effects of age. And these are easily expressed. And God describes them in two ways. The gray hair and the declining strength. We may go a long time thinking that uh, we haven't lost anything. We're just as good as we've ever been. But one of these days, you're going to grab a hold of something that you used to pick up easily. And it don't move anymore. It has not gotten heavier. 
It is a way, it is a way life's way of reminding you that, uh, yeah, your strength is going away. Now, you may can still pick it up, and you may can still move it, but not as far. You may can still do the same things you used to do, not as fast. It has a remarkable way of creeping up on us. You may be doing something that you've loved to do. I'll tell you what, I, I hung my cleats and gloves up uh, about 40 years ago. Uh, and, and I was still young then, but I, I almost had a collision out in outfield uh, down at Bog Springs one time, Brother Billy. And I thought, you know, if I would have hit that guy going full tilt, I might not would have ever got over it. And I had a passel of kids to raise. I put them things up. But maybe you still do. I still got out on the basketball court some. But I paid for it the next day. You do those things that you love to do. And then you can barely walk home or barely get out of bed the next day. You know how it is. It is the aging process. I've said enough about that. You know what I'm talking about. God said it so simply. Foreigners have devoured your strength, but he does not know it. Gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. It is a powerful picture of a people who've gone through the aging process, and yet they don't know it. You say, how could they miss it? God told us, verse 10, the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. How could they be losing their spiritual strength and not know it? How could they be losing their spiritual effectiveness and not know it? How could they be so far from God and not know it? One simple answer. Pride kept them from admitting it. It was right there in front of their face, God said. But they would not admit it. Some folks have a hard time admitting that they're getting older. I've seen some of those. I could tell you stories tonight, but I'm not going to. Some folks just uh, love to try to get on like it's not happening, but it is. In a spiritual sense, what God was talking to them about was their spiritual strength, their spiritual ability, their ability to serve him and serve him effectively. And their effectiveness then was out the window. On some level they had to know it. But in their pride they refused to admit it. And they refused to seek God to help him. Then God gave him a picture of a dove. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They called Egypt. They go to Syria. A silly dove. A dove is easily frightened. If you've watched them fly into their roost, you know that they seldom just go immediately into the tree. Those doves, as fast as they can fly, will fly up to that tree usually, and they'll cup their wings and sit there for a second. And maybe sometimes they see something that they don't like, and poof, they're gone just as quickly as they can go. God describes how that his people were running to Egypt and Assyria every time they felt threatened. Like a silly dove, they were here and then here and they were here and they were here. 
But the one place that they did not go to was God because they had no confidence in God. They had no confidence in the word of God or the truth of God. And instead they were turning to the epitome of the world in their life. To Egypt of all places. To Assyria of all places. To their enemies. To their enemies for help. Revealing then a deeply rooted lack of faith in God and his word and their commitment to him. For us tonight, then, it's a simple question. When we have a problem, what do we run to? Do we, do we count on medical science to solve it? Do we count on alcohol to numb it or drugs to numb the pain? Do we find ourselves filling our lives with more and more and more things to own and things to do to keep us preoccupied? After all, we call them amusements for a reason. You know, the word ah in Greek means not Muse means to think. Amuse. In the spiritual realm, we can be just as guilty finding our own Egypts and Assyrias to run to when we stop believing God or stop believing in the power of, of the Word of God to do what we can do. Christians are, are, are hopelessly gullible sometimes, running from spiritual fad to spiritual fad. Let somebody uh, write a bestseller, and here we go. And it doesn't matter if it's filled with doctrinal error and, and biblical untruths. Man, it's working. Look, at, look how great it is. No, it's not. God sees that as a silly dove running to Egypt and Assyria. Long ago, God asked, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? You know, the bomb in Gilead was, was made by the great physician. And, and the great physician is still operational. Who do we run to first? What do we look for? Do we run to God? Are we counting on Him? I love Isaiah 26 and 3. It says, he will, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. What a great passage. God will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because He trusts in you first place folk we ought to look when our mind and our heart is troubled the first thing we need to ask ourselves is do we have a faith problem have I been trusting in something is my mind still fixed on the Lord the late preacher Adrian Rogers was fond of saying, In anything that we attempt without God, we're doomed to fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Just because something brings success into our life does not necessarily mean that it is going to bring us peace. God will keep us in perfect peace when our mind and heart is fixed on Him. Last picture and we're done. Verse 16. They return but not to the most high. They're like a treacherous bow. Bow. Treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursings of their tongue. This shall be derision and their derision in the land of Egypt. If you've ever shot a bow, you know that the key to success in archery is consistency. You have to knock the arrow in exactly the same place every time. 
You have to put your fingers on the string in exactly the same place. You need to grab the bow or hold the bow in exactly the same way. You pull it back then to the exact same place. It's called the anchor point, the exact same place. You have a form because you have to do that. You have to do this. If you're going to be successful in shooting a bow, it has to be consistency. The string, the bow, and the arrow all have to be tuned together to create that flawless consistency then so that that release then can be perfect and the arrow will fly on its target. It is tough when you are doing all of that. You're doing everything right, but then the bow becomes inconsistent. There's something wrong with it. And then it won't hit the target target, no matter how carefully you do your part. On a field of battle, an unreliable bow can cost you your life. Or even worse, cost somebody else theirs. No archer, certainly no soldier, will carry an unreliable bow into battle. God says you're like a treacherous bow. And what that meant was that God could not use them. God could not trust them. Their smoldering sins still burning in their heart. Their incomplete obedience. A cake not turned. Their declining strength that they were not in their pride willing to acknowledge their Lack of simple trust and obedience to his word culminated with this last picture. You are unreliable. God could not count on them. God could not use them. God could not bless them. I want to close in tonight with a national application. Let's not forget that a nation is made up of individuals and certainly we can take Hosea chapter 7 as I've done it tonight and make an individual application to all of us and we can see ourselves in these pictures maybe several of them but uh, maybe all of them together you know we can see ourselves from time to time an area in life maybe I'm struggling with something that God is showing me tonight maybe that yes this, this, is, this is mine I, I, I need to own that God and and thank God that he does that. Very individual application. But let's not forget that Hosea was preaching to and God was addressing this to a nation. To a nation. And I want you to listen tonight to this as I read it again with a national application. To see if it sounds familiar to our nation even tonight. They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. The more modern translations, all that, while they, while they plot, while they plan, while they're lying in wait, you see, in, in the Bible way of looking at things, the lying in wait, somebody has set a trap, somebody is, is waiting for something. So they prepare their Heart like an oven uh, with their treacherous plans while they lie in wait. The baker sleeps all night, but in the morning it erupts, he said. It burns like a flaming fire. 
so that God was looking at the heart of a nation that was burning with flames. They're all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. Their kings have fallen. None among them calls on me. You see, God looked at a nation with a heart full of fire, anger, hate, and rage. They're plotting and planning. And in the morning, they erupt those plans. They attack their judges. They attack people who are in authority. They lash out because that heart full of anger blowing out what God was seeing in Israel long ago. That's what God's seeing in the United States of America tonight. That the operational principle there in that passage that God brings to them, none, none, none of them call on me. They're not calling on me. They're doing all of these things, but they don't think to call on me. Let's not be among those people. But instead tonight, let's look at this passage and let's remind ourselves of our responsibilities to be the people of God. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal, heal their land. My people. Let's be among those then who do call on the Lord. I know you pray for our nation. I do too. I know you folks at home, you're praying for our nation. I do too. Don't stop. It needs more prayer. But what do we pray for? We pray for people to get saved. That's what we pray for. What they need, what people need. They need the Lord. They need the Lord. Oh, how our nation needs a revival. They may not have one, but it doesn't mean that we can just give up and stop praying and stop preaching and stop calling on God. Let's keep doing it. Share the message. Remind ourselves that while we can go out in the world and fight over the, uh, the latest political hot topic, whatever it is this week, it'll be something else next week. But if we spend all our time doing that, we're not doing the one thing we need to do. And that's tell people about Jesus. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Share the gospel. Maybe tonight you're one of those who has a heart full of anger. You don't know what to do with it. I'll tell you what you can do with it. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. He'll help you with it. Maybe tonight you... Don't know what's wrong with your heart. What do I do? Take it to Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. He gave out a simple message then. Whosoever believeth on me should not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe this is your moment, that time for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved. Maybe it's your time to follow the Lord in baptism. Make that public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your time. Come to God with one of these pictures saying, yep, Lord, that's exactly where I'm at. Call on the Lord. He'll meet you where you are.
He'll forgive you. And he has a cure for your broken heart. Let's stand together.